Southern Skies. Online Media. Playing Crazy Down Under Quickcast episode is brought to you by Oz Runways, Australia's most cost-effective electronic flight bag for iPhone and iPad. Get a free one-month trial today at ozrunways.com. And by Jetride Australia. Be a top gun for the day in a Soviet-era L39 jet. Visit jetride.com.au slash pcdu for the fastest ride in the country. Well, good day, folks, and welcome back to Playing Crazy Down Under, episode number 88, a special quick cast episode. I'm Steve Vischer, and joining me as always, the very excited Grant McHeron. G'day, mate. Hey, mate. How are you going? I'll tell you what, I'm pretty excited myself. We had a great time on the weekend. Oh, uh, it was fantastic. Uh, very wonderful to be invited by Qantas and Jetstar to uh, go on out and hang out with the 787 as it came through. ZA003 was in Melbourne for the day. Yep, as part of the uh, the 787 Dream Tour that uh, Boeing is doing at the moment, seven segments of that. They're in actually segment seven at the moment, according to their website. Uh, as we record this, they're in Sydney. They're heading across to Auckland today, then back to Darwin, then across to uh, Tashkent and uh, finishing up in Casablanca. So a pretty exotic tour there for the Boeing crew. They'll be exhausted by the end of that. Yeah, you're right, Steve. I'm pretty sure they'll be uh, ready to come home and just relax for a while, but a marvellous opportunity for them to see some interesting parts of the world and a wonderful opportunity for us down here to get up close and personal with a 787 again. Absolutely and uh, we say again because we actually saw ZA001 at Oshkosh or I saw it from altitude as I flew over the top of it with uh, people swarming <laughs> all around it and uh, we did get a little bit close but couldn't get on that one that day but uh, we were very very privileged in fact uh, to be allowed to come along on this uh, this tour. It didn't spend uh, that much time in Melbourne. Uh, they came down here, it was a very windy wet blustery day but uh, you know the group that went down there, a whole busload of us uh, we got to crawl in, out and around that aircraft and uh, fortunately we although it wasn't a media event, uh, we did manage to speak with the uh, Chief Technical Pilot Captain uh, Todd Abraham. Captain Todd Abraham, welcome to Plane Crazy Down Under. Oh, thanks for having me. You're the Chief um, Flight Test Pilot here with the tour or? Actually no, at some point in my career I'd like to aspire to that. At this point okay. I'm one of the technical pilots. We have a team of pilots on board the aircraft today that are responsible for developing uh, and maintaining the crew procedures uh, and processes in support of the pilots in the, in the service fleet. So our organization works to uh, author the FCOM, or Flight Crew Operating Manual Procedures, our QRH, uh, emergency procedures and normal procedures are all what we manage for the aircraft. We have the opportunity to bring the aircraft to 787 on tour uh, through Australia, having a great time. So how did you get to this point with Boeing? What's what's your flying background been? Uh, I've got a unique, a unique background. I'm a late life pilot, actually. I'm a, a young life, about six years old. I think I fell on my head and decided I wanted to fly airplanes uh, and went through my youth designing you know, aircraft and dreaming about them. My youngest kids' books have kids scribble before I can write in them of aircraft. I uh, dreamed of it all the time. I uh, got into my, uh, you know, my adult years and teen in college and uh, with my eyesight not being absolutely perfect at the time, the military path was closed down to me. So I pursued an engineering career in the background and decided flight test engineer was great. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the right stuff. Or, mm-hmm. you know, oh, yeah. you know, I want to be the guy with the, I think I referenced the wrong movie, but you know, hand a stick of gum to Chuck Yeager to go fly kind of thing and I thought it'd be great. Uh, flight test took me through uh, military work for the U.S. Uh, and then into Boeing as a flight test engineer and worked from there into customer service. I enjoyed working with the customers directly, worked customer support and service for the Boeing company, uh, and then left Boeing and decided in my late 30s, hey, you know, I want to fly. 
This is just too long working with people doing what I want to be doing. It's starting to eat at me inside. And if I don't do it now, I never will. Went, flew for the airlines for about five years in the Continental Express system in, uh, in the U.S. Got a chance to fly Canada, U.S., Mexico. From there, came back into the Boeing company again as a flight test engineer at that point, running the flight test program for one of the aircraft on the 747-8 freighter, the first, uh, third aircraft, the second one to fly, managed that program, and through that was able to start working with the flight operations group uh, in the company and was offered the opportunity just late last year to come on board and actually fly and fly the 787 Dreamliner. So it's really a a career opportunity of a lifetime. Uh, You know, I've won lottery and it's just been a a long career of just keep working the same direction and I couldn't believe it would actually happen, but I'm thrilled to be here. I imagine it would have taken all of 2.3 milliseconds to go, yes, yes, I'll do it. There was, for the first time in my life, there was absolutely no negotiation on the salary. (laughs) Oh, you're gonna pay me for this? Exactly. (laughs) Conversion onto any new aircraft and type ratings would be challenging at the best of times, but this aircraft is brand new, so can you tell us a bit about you know, how you go about converting onto an aircraft that is so new? So for myself, it was an interesting challenge that I came essentially from, from a, a test role as an engineer on the 47, not actually flying the aircraft, and my flight experience was several years prior to that, uh, flying uh, the Embraer 145, uh, which was a fairly modern jet, but nowhere near as, mo- as modern or automated as the 787. But it's interesting that having been familiar with the Boeing processes and procedures in the flight deck from the 747, uh, the basic cockpit flows, the basic use of the automation, uh, the, uh, the the mode control panel and auto flight controls, uh, the FMC and the CDU displays and character entries there are all very common across the Boeing fleet. So even actually having not having hand-flown the aircraft, just knowing how the flight deck works, which is basically a similar experience someone from another model is going to have is, how do I operate a Boeing but I haven't hand-flown this aircraft? Add on that an education of the systems knowledge and really it came together quite well. You know, I mean, you, you learn the systems of any aircraft, it's new, it's a struggle, you study, you learn it. This is a very unique aircraft, uh, but it, it, it fits in with a normal architecture with just some new technologies. Uh, you get in the aircraft, it's normal boring flow, normal boring cockpit flow, common type to the 777. We took a 777, we added some uh, features of modernization where we believed it made sense to open the, the architecture and the flight deck up for the future but maintain a lot of commonality with the 777. So it's very much a Boeing in the flight deck. If you're familiar with the Boeing, you can learn the systems, and the flying, it's a beautiful flying aircraft. Yeah, I've heard that the uh, that if you've just done a 777 conversion in the last year or so, then it's less conversion time to get up to speed on the 787. Uh, I think someone was saying that you could almost pretty much walk into a 787 if you'd done a modern 777 course. So not quite. Uh, the 777 and the 787 has officially a common type rating. The requirement to get signed off on the 787, if you are a current and qualified 777, it's a minimum five-day transition course. So Boeing has negotiated with the regulator, or not negotiated, but analyzed the differences and shown to the regulators out there that with a set syllabus of five-day minimum, you can take an active current 777 pilot, teach them the systems and the differences to the 787, and qualify them on the 787. We're also working to make that reverse of course, there's not many 787 pilots out there, but we are getting that approved to go back backwards the other way, what we call a reverse differences class, to get people back into the 777 with a similar amount of training. So the conversion process for the pilots for your launch customers, for example, have you, I guess you're evolving that uh, conversion process over time, the type ratings, as the aircraft evolves, I guess so, with the training system? Boeing has achieved approval for a, uh, an approved syllabus that takes a new pilot either off the street or a pilot that is a current Boeing pilot in a modern Boeing aircraft or a 777 current pilot 
777 current, five days. If you're a current Boeing pilot in any of our other glass aircraft, it's 12 days. And then if you're off the street, it's a 21-day course. And that's an approved syllabus for the aircraft, for anyone to come in, depending on where they're coming from for the aircraft. Uh, the operators out there are taking uh, those training programs. They're either using them as is, contracting with Boeing to provide our flight training services, either out of uh, a Boeing, uh, Singapore, Florida, we have different training centers around the world, or the operators are developing their own training courses in-house that take our basic minimum and add on top of it their unique operator requirements for how they operate their aircraft and building their own training programs. And they've been doing that ahead of receiving the aircraft, so when they get the aircraft, they have a crew of pilots that can support it. The aircraft is, uh, this one's fly-by-wire, I believe. That's, that's a change, obviously, in the way Boeing aircraft have been in the past. When you're flying the aircraft, I notice you've gone with a yoke instead of a side-stick controller. I'm curious, and some of our pilots that have contacted us are curious as to whether you would, for example, get some sort of synthetic feedback when you're making a control input. Boeing, is philosophy is keeping the pilot in the loop of the flight controls to a different degree than some other manufacturers. And part of that is, yes, having the yoke in front of you. One of the requirements is not just the physical nature of a yoke. A side stick is very natural. It's to the side. It's out of the way. A lot of people like that. I've flown side stick aircraft. I enjoy that too for seating position ergonomics. For the Boeing aircraft with a two crew philosophy and a large aircraft, knowing what the other pilot is doing, both seeing the throttle movements and the flight control movements, knowing what the automation is doing through flight control movements, through auto throttle movements, is part of the philosophy of what Boeing thinks a pilot should be doing in the aircraft. So when we chose to go with a yoke, in the 787, which of course you've correctly noted that a 787 fly-by-wire system, you don't have to have a yoke. You could have a joystick, you could have a mouse pad, and you could theoretically fly the airplane, maybe not quite as well. But we chose to go with the yoke. But to do that, we had to maintain the benefits of a traditional yoke, which is they had to attach to each other so the left and right knows what each other is doing, and they do the same thing, and provide force feedback from the flight control system to make sure the airplane flies a natural way, feels like a natural aircraft, and on top of that, those flight controls were also tuned to keep it very similar to a 777 for that common type rating back and forth. So the controls will feel like a normal airplane. Uh, you jump in front of, into a uh, 77 flight deck, it feels very natural. The trim system on the aircraft is a speed-based trim system. When you're commanding a trim change to the aircraft, you're commanding the neutral speed for the pitch trim in the flight control system. So the end result is, it sounds very fancy and there's flight control laws and names that go behind it, the end result is, it's like you jump into any classic aircraft and it's speed for, you know, trim yep. on speed. Yep. And so when you start going too fast in the aircraft, you're gonna find yourself with forward yoke. You start getting too slow on an approach, you're gonna find yourself holding that back pressure and you've got tactile visual feedback of your airspeed in the flight controls like you have had in every aircraft you've had since day one in flight training. Well, we believe that's important for the aircraft. Oh, that's definitely Very important, important for uh, situational awareness. That would really help if you've got some sort of feedback to the pilot. Yes. And it's, the throttles, like, because when you've got it on auto throttle on the Boeing, that like in an Airbus, you put it to the detent and leave it there, whereas the Boeing ones, they're always moving. So the same on the 787 as, as the the computers are changing the thrust settings, the, the throttles are moving. Yes, they're moving They're moving auto throttles, so yeah. you see that. So in that scenario on, on approach, if you're getting slow, you'll see the thrust levers moving up, you'll feel that back pressure yeah. in the yoke. You've got all the normal tactile visual feedback that yep. you would have had in any of the aircraft leading up to this aircraft Fantastic. in your career. What sort of um, envelope protection when you're in flying? I mean, for example, could you stall this aircraft? Would it let you stall it if you wanted to put it for whatever reason? So if, but if, if, does it have protections against that sort of situation? It, it has both high and low speed protection and bank angle protection. But as you noted, uh, you can pull through those. Yeah. So if a pilot chooses 
uh, to maneuver the aircraft beyond those protections, then it's the pilot command overrules the flight controls. So the flight controls will feed back into the column uh, or into the wheel uh, increased forces as you drive past uh, 30 degrees of bank and, and as you get into the higher low speed regime, it'll protect against it. Uh, but you can always pull, push, or roll through those protections on the aircraft. So we've got a question from one of our air traffic control mates. And uh, what's your speed profile? He's, he's asking what's your climb indicated airspeed, climb MAC, cruise MAC, descent MAC, descent IAS, or of course above 10,000 where you, where you can actually fly the beastie without having to be under the 250 knots. But he's, so he's just wondering what what is your um, what's your typical profile in terms of speeds? Uh, cl classic Boeing. You're going to find this aircraft, uh, you know, tooling around at eight five is the sweet spot. Yep. You know, we design the aircraft for the speed that we want to get it most efficient. So eight five in cruise at most weight ranges are where you're going to find this aircraft in cruise. Uh, on climb out, you're going to find it with uh, like other aircraft in the high two hundreds, low three hundreds on climb out, and same thing on descent. So you'll find it fitting in quite well with the rest of the air traffic control system. It's not a, a new airplane that the rest of the world has to make room for. It's an airplane designed to fit into the existing room structure. So it's sort of like a top end seven six seven four hundred or, or a smallest triple seven and how it behaves. Sure. And of course, it'll yep. be able to wait dependent for the speeds on arrival. Yep. Okay. Now the other part, uh, I noticed we're using a, uh, a standard tow bar. There's not. It looks like it's very much designed to fit in at the airport ramps with all the standard ground equipment, except that we've got three electrical ground power outlets, uh, or inlets rather, the sockets. Uh, so I was told by one of the guys that you can plug it in for all three, is that correct, being an electric jet? So you're correct, it is an electric jet. Uh, the starters on the motors are electric starters, they're not, they're not air-driven starters. Uh, so with that in mind, the aircraft has a, quite a hunger for electricity. Even without the starter motors, the uh, pressurization system is driven by electric compressors. Uh, the leading edges are heated electrically, of course not needed on the ground, but there's no bleed on the aircraft except for the engine nacelles in flight. So on the ground you've got everything running on electrics, including the air conditioning, pressurization, uh, and of course all the in-flight entertainment equipment, which is a fairly significant load. And so the aircraft with that hunger for electricity requires the airplane will operate off of one uh, ground power unit, but really for, for the, the aircraft design point, you'll want two uh, ground power uh, connections, which is very similar to a 777 uh, in service, and two is the norm uh, at any gate. Uh, you, you're correct, there's a third uh, electrical power connector, a ground power connector on the aircraft towards the aft, and it's an auxiliary connector. If this aircraft needs to do an external power start, that is, start the aircraft using electrical power to those uh, starters on the engines, we don't have, uh, they're not bleed starts, you can't hook up a classic air cart. Yeah. So instead of an air cart, you hook up an electrical cart. So if you didn't have your APU and APU wasn't available, you need to start it with an external electrical connector instead of an external high pressure air connector. And that third external power connector is dedicated to starting an engine. That's the one up the back, so you bring an electrical start cart in rather. Essentially, yeah, yeah. Okay. Or any, except it's not, it has to be not a dedicated start cart, yeah. it's any. Oh, just any generator, yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, speaking of electrics, I believe the brake system on this is electric. Is it electric all the way through? Is it electrically actuated hydraulic? No, it's electric, electric all the way down. So it's uh, uh, power feeders down the landing gear into electric brake actuators. There's actual electrical actuators that are applying pressure to the, the rotors and the stators in the, in the brake assembly and the wheels. Now, what was the theory behind putting that? Is it a weight saving? Is it more effective to brake the aircraft that way? It's a weight savings purely. It's yep. a weight savings to go all electric in the aircraft. Uh, for the tubing, uh, hydraulics, and the failure modes there with the electricity, it provides increased control of the aircraft. We can do some fancy things with it too to protect brake wear. Carbon brakes, 
those that are familiar with carbon brakes, they wear not based on how hard you use them, but on how many times you use them. So we get to do some nice things on taxiing the aircraft. If you're taxiing downhill, like the taxi into here, we had a little bit of a tailwind, a little bit of a downhill coming in here. So of course, you gotta get on the brakes once in a while to slow the aircraft down. So each time you touch those brakes, that's an application, that's wear. This aircraft at taxi speeds won't put on all the brakes every time. It'll do either the front or back pair of wheels on each of the bogies, yeah. alternating every brake application to taxi, having the number of brake applications increasing the carbon the carbon brake uh, life of yep. the aircraft. So it, it affords you some abilities. And these they weren't put in there to do that. They were put in there basically for the weight savings and the reliability, but it opens up the ability to take advantage of all sorts of new things we can do to help the aircraft out and help the operators out and reduce their, their costs. Well, mate, I really appreciate your time chatting with us. That has been absolutely excellent. Uh, really appreciate it. It's a beautiful aircraft, and we're looking forward to having a quick look on board before we all go. Well, enjoy the tour of the aircraft. I think your, uh, your folks who are uh, listening to you will enjoy their, their rides in the aircraft, the flying aircraft, and it's, uh, you guys have been great hosts here in the country to come visit. It's Pleasure to have Australia. Thanks very much. Thanks. have the need, the need for speed. Jetride Australia is the country's premier fighter experience and the perfect gift for every budding top gun. From mild to wild, Jetride tailors each flight individually to give you the mind-blowing ride of your life. To make the dream a reality, check out jetride.com.au slash pcdu or Aussies can call 1300 554 876. Jetride, forget the rest, fly with the best. Plan your flight, fly your plan with Oz Runways. Oz Runways turns any iPad or iPhone into a full-featured moving map GPS complete with all the official Australian aviation charts. Oz Runways is Australia's most feature-packed, cost-effective and easy-to-use electronic flight bag complete with AIP, URSA, DAP East and West, flight planning and much more. You can even submit your flight plan direct into NAPES. With annual subscriptions starting at only $74.99, it's the perfect flying companion whether you rent or own your own aircraft. For your free one-month trial, search for Oz Runways EFB in the iTunes store or visit ozrunways.com. Oz Runways, know where you're going. There's a new aviation program coming. Hi, I'm Peter Johnson from XTP Media. And with the support of the Royal Aeronautical Society and Global Aviation Resource, we'll bring you Extended, the ETOPS aviation program, bringing longer and more detailed analysis. Hey, this thing is real. Here's what you're paying for. So I think that's a really, really good point. I think people need to see the aircraft in the flesh now. Views. It wasn't far away from British Airways. I've predicted it pretty boldly that they won't exist. I was ready. You know, you hear stories about people panicking and being scared and excited. And, and guest interviews. And as we grow, those are the three key things we need to make sure. We're the only globally accredited aerobatic airlines. We've won Best Airport at the uh, Travel Weekly Globe Awards. and So to get more of this... That was really um, a fantastic interview and a wonderful experience. Wow, Peter. Excellent. Nice, huh? I, that was really impressive. And he's done so much for the uh, aviation podcast. We'll bring you more of this. There's a question. How long is a piece of string? And lots more about this.
So join me along with Tim Robinson. Just in time for uh, you know people to kind of dust the sand out of the sand filters uh, and away you go again. <laughs> and Gareth Stringer. Everybody's been very impressed with what they've seen of the aircraft. And dial into a new frequency, extended. I'm James Williams from Podcasters Emporium and you're listening to Plane Crazy Down Under, now proudly part of the Lifestyle Pod Network. And welcome back, folks. And, uh, boy, Grant, uh, some fantastic information there. And uh, I think I'm just going to uh, just, just put up front there that uh, some of those fantastic questions weren't mine, although I sounded very intelligent. And uh, a couple of our very good uh, pilot friends uh, who probably would wish to remain anonymous uh, did uh, give us some uh, technical help there to uh, come up with some questions that we hope that pilots, airline pilots and private pilots alike would be interested in. And, uh, Grant, I thought uh, uh, Captain Abraham gave us some fantastic data there. Uh, absolutely brilliant and uh, confirmed a lot of what we'd been hoping, which was that even though it's all electric, and fly-by-wire, it's still keeping that Boeing philosophy that uh, the pilot gives the commands and the computers help and that you get that feedback, that tactile feedback. To me, I'm pretty even on Airbus or Boeing. I like both of them. They're all pretty cool. But if the Airbus was able to give that tactile sensation back into you by moving the stick and moving the uh, throttles, I think that would just really help give your whole body that picture because we, we do things by sight, by sound and by feel. And if the more you can give through alternate sources to back up what's being seen on this instruments and out the window, the better. A couple of other things that I found interesting, uh, not a lot of use, in fact, no use of bleed air off the engines uh, for most of the systems. Just about everything in that aircraft appears to be electric. And uh, the other thing that interests me, Grant, is that they've set the uh, cabin altitude uh, at 6,000 feet instead of the usual 8,000. That's right, mate. Uh, with the bleed air, the, there is one little bit of bleed and that's the uh, inlet de-ice that's uh, performed by bleed air, but everything else is all off generators. And regarding the uh, cabin altitude mate just that uh, 2,000 foot reduction really helps with passenger comfort helps reduce the number of people who are being experiencing jet lag afterwards uh, they've also got increased humidity in there because you don't have to keep it so dry there's not as much uh, metal in the in the aircraft so that also helps it doesn't dry out the back of your throat and your eyes as much so uh, they, they've done some studies and the indications are that uh, it should dramatically drop the number of people who uh, experience discomfort while flying and uh, although we didn't get to interview uh, the the engineers in any formal sense, uh, we did spend some time talking to a couple of them. And uh, one of the other questions that uh, one of our pilot mates had asked us was uh, how the aircraft disperses uh, electricity in the case of a lightning strike, uh, given that uh, the aircraft is largely made up of uh, composite material. Grant, uh, we found some interesting information about uh, how Boeing came up with that solution. That's right, mate. As some of you may have uh, heard and read, they embedded a metal mesh inside the composite structure as they were layering all the carbon components together and baking. It, there is a wire mesh inside the panels and that helps uh, conduct the electricity away to the static wicks and so on. Uh, this is one of the things that did cause some issues when they were doing the initial build, uh, weight issues and so on, but uh, they've managed to figure out a way to make it work correctly and without putting significant weight penalties on the aircraft. And mate, the other thing I heard from the uh, engineers was that you can actually start the engine if your APU isn't running. Typically what you do is have it plugged into ground on the front two sockets. The, the rear sockets used typically if the APU is unavailable to start an engine because you don't have any compressed air starting. It's all electric starting of the engines. So uh, that's where that third receptacle typically comes in if you can't use the APU. But what you what uh, the guys on board were saying was that you can actually start the uh, jet off the front two plugs. The uh, only problem is you've got to turn as much stuff off as you can. It's a very restrictive startup process, very laborious, very controlled. 
immediately came to mind for me was the scene out of Apollo 13 where they're uh, firing things back up in the uh, command module and Ken Mattingly on the ground is doing the tests in the simulator to not blow the amperage on their uh, ba- remaining batteries. And it's the same kind of thing. You've got to turn everything off, make sure just the minimum is on to fire up those engines off the front two plugs. But it's a lot easier if you just plug the third one in down the back. Absolutely. Now, uh, we brought our uh, our great photographer friend along, Stephen Pam, and uh, he's been good enough to uh, take a stack of uh, fantastic photos. Stephen Pam, uh, you can visit his work at smartshots.com. Highly recommend it. He's always very generous with his time for us. Head over to uh, playingcrazydownunder.com and click on the Flickr icon, and uh, you can head over there and see all the wonderful photos that uh, Steve Pam took for the day, including, curiously, Grant, a plane crazy down under cap up on the dashboard. Yeah, that's right, mate. There was a, a number of photos being taken. I, I know I got a couple on the tablet. You got a few on the iPhone, and Stephen just went crazy, of course, with his real camera. But uh, that uh, plane crazy cap on the dashboard, I definitely think that uh, that would be a good sales point for, for 787s in the future. You know, everyone comes with a PCDU cap. Absolutely. No Dreamliner is complete without it, as I said to uh, one of our uh, Facebook followers the other day. <laughs> Now, of course, uh, we were there as uh, guests of Qantas and Jetstar, the Qantas group, and uh, they've got uh, 50 airframes on order at the moment, according to their website and their press releases, 15-8s and 35-9s, Grant. Looks like uh, of the 15-8s, they're all going to Jetstar, and uh, the 35-9s, according to Qantas, uh, are there to complete the uh, replacement program for the uh, 767 fleet. And uh, as we record this, uh, no firm uh, decision has been made on exactly how they will uh, distribute those airframes as they come online. Looks like they're going to start coming online uh, about the middle of 2013 and the Dash 9s are uh, starting to arrive somewhere uh, around 2014, 2015. So a little while out, but uh, certainly a big order and uh, exciting times. That's right. For the uh, Dash 8s, they'll be coming in around then. The Dash 9s, of course, coming after. The grand plan was to um, offload the A330s that Jetstar is currently using internationally and uh, send them back to Qantas to be used on the Golden Triangle as part of the City Flyer route, where a few are already being used uh, to hopefully offload the uh, 767s from those routes. That's the official plan at the moment. We'll see how it comes out between now and introduction into service. There's been a lot of time and a lot of changes since the uh, 787 was first mooted for uh, the Qantas group. So we'll see what uh, comes down the line when they go into service. Folks, if you haven't already checked it out, uh, you can find out uh, a lot more about the 787 uh, at the Boeing website at newairplane.com slash 787. And uh, you can find out all about the Dream Tour, where it's going, where they've been, and uh, what's in store for the 787 uh, as it starts into service. We know that uh, it's already running around Japan. And uh, in fact, they've got two plants at the moment. Grant, uh, the main plant, of course, over there in Washington, but uh, also uh, pumping them off the line now over in on the other side of the US in South Carolina. So uh, things are really starting to crank up there, and we're looking forward to seeing more of these aircraft coming down into our skies. Yeah, mate, uh, we should be seeing a 787 in our skies on commercial routes pretty soon. That first aircraft to come off the uh, alternate production line was a uh, Air India 787. So once that finishes its uh, tests and trials, that will be being delivered to Air India. And Air India are planning to use that 787 on its flights to Australia, which includes Melbourne. Melbourne and Sydney to Delhi. Fantastic. Well, that wraps up this quick cast episode of Playing Crazy Down Under. Thanks very much for listening, folks. We hope you enjoyed it. We certainly hope you found it informative. Grant, we'll be back uh, very soon with another episode of Playing Crazy Down Under. But I tell you what, if you're flying Dreamliners around the Australian skies, I reckon you should remember this. It's what's down under that counts, folks. You've been listening to Playing Crazy Down Under, hosted by Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran. Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel, and Grant and Steve's own blogs can be found on our website, www.playingcrazydownunder.com, or keep up with our Twitter handle of PCDU. 
comments or feedback can be left on our website or email us at plaincrazydownunder at gmail.com. If you'd like to help with the ongoing production of the show, feel free to assist via the donate button on the website. Any contributions are most gratefully appreciated. Incidental music and sound effects are courtesy of soundsnap.com and title music is You Name It 5 by Brian Simpson. This has been a Southern Skies online media podcast. folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with, although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks. Thanks, folks.